coming to you from the DTC in Denver, Colorado. This is OCN Business with Aaron Wood. Welcome OCN community to this OCN Business Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Wood, and I have the pleasure of being joined today with Scott Simon. Now, Scott is the founder and CEO of Voicebox Karaoke. You'll find Voicebox Karaoke in Denver's Rhino neighborhood. He also has a couple locations in Portland, Oregon. And this fall, a new location coming soon to Fort Worth and a new location coming soon to Idaho as well. Boise, Idaho. Boise, Idaho. Well, welcome to the show, Scott. Pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be here. So on OCN Business, what we like to do is we, we like to really get to know not just the businesses, um, especially local businesses here in Colorado, um, but really get to know the people that created them, the people that came up with the ideas, who they are, what they're all about, um, you know, what your favorite sandwich is, and kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. So Scott, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, like who are you? Who am I? Um, that's a good question. So I'm... A New Yorker originally. Okay. Grew up on Long Island, and then at 17, kind of decided I wanted a different experience than what the East Coast was offering. So I went to college in St. Louis, got a degree in electrical engineering, wound up in the Bay Area at Cisco Systems doing system architecture, and got to travel around the world doing engineering architecture work. Yeah. So Cisco so, Cisco Systems, yeah. that's like... Uh, that's technology, that's engineer, uh, what was it, IT? Yeah, so I was one of the first uh, people at Cisco. I was on a new markets team, so I got the pleasure of researching IP telephony before IP telephony was a <laughs> thing that anyone knew about. I okay. got to research Wi-Fi before it was even called Wi-Fi. What did you call it at the time? It was called wireless Ethernet oh, or okay. wireless networking. Kind of makes sense. Yeah, the, right. the Wi-Fi brand hadn't been created yet. Right. So I was on this team doing really cool stuff. And after five years in Silicon Valley, I kind of looked around. I was rising in the company. I could kind of aim for any point I wanted. Right. And then I couldn't find a point I wanted to aim at. <laughs> so, so couldn't find a point. Just, just nothing really sounded exciting, interesting, didn't really fit. Yeah, I was getting a little stir crazy in the Bay Area. Okay. And I think that the pace of life there, the materialism, it, it wasn't really resonating with me anymore. Right. right. And um, I had saved up a little bit of money. I was single, and so at the age of 28, I left Silicon Valley and traveled the world for a year. And oh wow, yeah, yeah. man. So so New Yorker, Long Island guy yeah. makes his way westward, mm-hmm. St. Louis with a stop in between. Silicon Valley just did it and was done with it. Yeah. Traveled the world. Where, where'd you go? What what were some of your stops? Let's see if I can do it in order. Haiti, okay, Australia, Thailand, Mongolia, China, Russia. Iceland, and then back home. Oh, wow. And along the way, I had a four-month drive across the United States as well. Yeah. So Iceland, and then you're like, okay, this is cold. I'm, I'm done? Or? Oh, I was so homesick by the time I got to <laughs> Russia. I was out way out in Siberia and uh, taking the Trans-Siberian Railroad, and not even the main line, these spurs, and the only people on this line were, were miners and loggers and oh their families. Gosh. I'd never seen a, a larger body of people with obvious skin disfigurement than right. out there from the mining and I, yeah i'm guessing or some, cold, some industrial being in siberia yeah so everyone out there was like dealing with some some real real stuff and i was getting sick and i'd been on i've been traveling for months at that point yeah rush is a hard place i met amazing people there had some awesome experiences but you kind of feel that oppression that you could imagine it's it's palpable in the atmosphere oh, so by wow. the time i left moscow uh, a month later I was I was ready to be home. Getting homesick, ready to return to the States. Yep. And so so your journey kind of took you around the world and then back to the U.S. Mm. Um, when you got back to the States, what what did you want to do? What did you decide? Well, that was actually one of my crises, which is I, you know, I, I quit my my job. It was a good job. My grandpa helped get me this job. His mm-hmm. neighbor, and, and my, the reason I bring up my grandpa because he factors into to my vision for voice box, but he was also a child of the Depression, and he quit high school to help feed his family. Oh, right. And for him, um, when I got hired in Silicon Valley, I was done. You made, made it. it. You're, you're there. I could. Who could ask for anything yeah. more than what I did? And then five years later, to leave and, and quit and <laughs> yeah. travel, he, he never quite understood It's it. like you're, you're the success story of the family. Yeah. You know, it's like... De- Grandpa growing up during the Depression, he's like, you know, just just get a good job, get something that's stable and provide for your family. And Yep. And he was so proud, too, because his neighbor's son, he always talked about, his neighbor's son was my first boss in Silicon Valley, got me my first job out oh, of wow. college. So he had this personal pride around what I had achieved. Yeah, he had a hand to play in it, right? Totally. And um, so, yeah, I, I left all of that behind, and I came back to the States, and I definitely had a crisis. And 
you know, I, I guess I thought there would be this eat, pray, love catharsis where I came back a, a changed person. Right. And it took a, long, a lot longer for the experiences and the, the way I was changed to start to emerge years. and For it memory. to kind of like sink in, take root and grow. Yeah, to start to notice how I changed or what yeah. I learned or, or how the stories were still resonating years later. Because I think a lot of people kind of want that. They're like, you know, you know, whether they're just starting out or they've been... You know, maybe in the corporate world for a while, they're like, yeah, maybe I'm going to go travel the world and kind of find myself and see what I really want to do with my life. And they think once that, once that's done, you're going to just have it handed to you right there, have some awakening, right? Some moment of enlightenment. And this is what totally. we need to do next. And this was even before Facebook and Instagram, where now we really expect every moment of our lives to be the best moment of our <laughs> right, lives, right? Yeah. So this was even before that. But yeah, it was, um, I don't know how other people experience things like that, but for me, it was, um, it was incredible but I was so exhausted and so sick and, and then questioning what I'd done, you know, I'd left. This like, was this behind. the right idea? Exactly. Yeah. And, um, I could have moved back to the Bay area. Uh, there were plenty of jobs waiting for me, but I knew I would get signed up when I sucked back in to everything I'd left. Yeah. And one of my best friends from the Bay area while I was traveling had moved up to Portland and relocated up there. And I, um, he actually ended up being my business partner. He's our COO now, but at okay. the time he was still working for Cisco remotely. So I went and stayed with him in Portland for a month. And by the end of that month, I was like, yeah, Portland feels right. Okay. I loved it and moved in and I still had no idea what I was going to do with myself. And I got pretty depressed about it. Um, my, I saw a counselor and she was awesome. In my first session with her, she's like, Scott, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Take a breather. Yeah. Do you really think you're going to be lying in a ditch on the side of the road? And I was like, no. So Took, took a breather. It's like, hey, you're above ground. You yeah. know, you're standing up, you're breathing. Totally. It's good. Yeah. I, I used up my savings, um, <laughs> most of them anyway. Uh, so I was a little nervous about that. I did a little part-time consulting. But, you know, chilling out was the right call. It only took six months after I landed in Portland for the idea of Voicebox to arrive. Okay. And um, that's been my path ever since. So six months in Portland. So, so Portland, you're like, okay, I got a home now. This This feels good. This is where I want to be. Over that six months, what kind of started happening in you? You know, what were your thoughts that kind of grew to this idea for Voicebox Karaoke? The thought kind of came out of nowhere. I occupied my time by, by making friendships. I got really involved in the improv comedy community, which, okay. which really introduced me to all the people who are my, my network now. It's an amazing group. So were you doing, like, improv stand-up? Uh, well, it's on, yeah, performances okay. on stage where you're making up scenes based on, you know, like, whose line is that anyway? Oh, yeah, kind of stuff. yeah. yeah oh, that, I love that. Yeah, where, the, a, where the rules are made up and the points don't mean anything. Exactly. Right? Very similar. There's yeah. a group called Comedy Sports, which is all around the country. And the most kind, witty, intelligent people you've ever met who are also this very, very funny. And the funniest doesn't come from telling jokes. It comes from, like, being really honest and really open and living right. in the moment. So there's You're believable at that totally. point. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so I met so many amazing people there, and that, that became the core of my friend group. But the idea for Voicebox kind of came out of the blue in July of 2007. Okay. We were out at dinner at one of Portland's just awesome restaurants, the Bistro Montage. Got out of dinner Friday night, 10.30. Scott Lenartz was with me. He's our COO. A few other friends. So the two Scots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we run the company now. All right. So you guys uh, got out of dinner. Totally. We, we got out of dinner, and, and I said to Scott, hey, let's go do karaoke. And what I was referring to is this thing we used to do when we lived in San Francisco, the Bay Area. We would go to this place called Do Re Mi, and it was underneath the Denny's. And... <laughs> Underneath the Denny's. Yeah, on, on Geary Street in Japantown. Okay. Oh, okay. So this is like yeah. this is like the real deal karaoke. Yeah, it totally was. Okay. And I had never experienced it, but years years prior, one of my friends invited me out to go do karaoke. And I'd done karaoke at bars and whatever. And it was, you know, with mixed success. Right. But at this place, you got your own private room. Mm-hmm. And this was something different. Because for for I would dare say a majority of people probably listening to this in our audiences. Most Americans, are, are they familiar with the private suite with a group of friends karaoke that is prevalent in Japan? Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing this for 11 years now. Yeah. And it's definitely more in the consciousness. People are more aware of it, but it's still amazing how few people, even if they're aware of it, have access to it. Right. And access to it to the quality level that we deliver. Back then, it was really most people's touch point was the movie Lost in Translation because yeah. there's those scenes where they're singing karaoke in the private rooms. And mm -hmm. that was like 
if I could say to people, oh, like in Lost in Translation, then they would understand. But what then I was they have to about. see that movie and know exactly right. the scene exactly. you're talking about. So yeah. it's become more popular, but you know, the vast majority of Americans do not have this in their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. um, which is something we're working on changing yeah. for sure. I, I've never, I never really experienced it until coming further out west. I'm, I'm. Um, Midwest, Northern Indiana, East of Chicago right type on. guy. And karaoke out there is some seedy sports pub on totally. a Thursday or Saturday after 9 p.m. Yeah, I call That's, it the three Ds. It's okay. drunks, dive bars, and divas. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, they're all fun in their own right in their own time. But right. for most people, those things make most people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So I either have to follow a drunk and be a joke, or I have to be in a seedy dive bar, which, you know, isn't appealing to most people. Yeah. Um, or I have to follow a diva. And now I have to like live up to some standard. <laughs> and I just want to have fun, you know. Right. I'm not. I'm not trying to be on, um, you know, singing with the stars or whatever iteration is out. Exactly. Today. It's like I just want to have fun with my friends, right? Totally. And and yeah. that's where you know that's what the private room experience gives you, which is it's not a performance. Mm-hmm. You're not in the spotlight. For us, the way we look at it, and we, you know, what we do, it's so fun. Okay. It's so joyful. But I also take it really seriously. Yeah. And. Um, and, and there's something amazing when you get in there and you're just playing. It's, it's like pure play. Yeah. And it takes us back to stuff that's really primal in the human experience, the storytelling around the fire. Mm-hmm. And it's not a campfire. It's these awesome high-tech karaoke suites. <laughs> yeah. But we're still doing this thing that's really primal. And, and then people have discoveries like, wow, Aaron, I had no idea that you could drop Eminem like that. <laughs> wow. How did you know rap is my forte? No. Yeah, or, or my buddy, like, you know, I'm from Long Island, so Billy Joel is our patron yeah. saint, like, you know, Bruce Springsteen or Bon Jovi from, from New Jersey. And, um, you know, I got done singing a, I don't know, seven-minute Billy Joel ballad, and my buddy Carter, my other business partner, so the three of us are the, are the main business partners, uh, he came up to me afterwards. He said, you know, I always thought Billy Joel was really cheesy and dumb. And I still <laughs> think he's cheesy, but I get it now. I get it now. Yeah. You get it. You had that experience, and now you get it. Totally. And then, so those are like the little discoveries. And then there's the life-changing ones, which are like, um, you know, the number two, the top two fears that people have are public speaking and singing. Yeah. And so when someone comes in and they have it in their mind that this is something that's going to be scary, and then they have this experience where it's just that energetic and joyful. For example... I think every night we have this dude who shows up and he's like, I'm, I'm here for Stacy's birthday. Do I still have to pay? I'm not going to sing. I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> I don't want to like, embarrass myself right, or right. anyone around me. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, you still have to pay. Come on in. And then invariably by the end of the night, that's the dude you can't get the microphone away from. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that guy went from cynical and scared to like can't get enough of it. That's because you've created or at least helped create this joyful joyful experience yes. and atmosphere. Yes, exactly. And, and for us, it's the sophisticated space, the the really from-the-heart hospitality that we provide, and that's another part of our story that I, I really I take seriously. Um, we, we create this experience where people feel comfortable and taken care of yeah. and safe and super fun and energized. And, you know, we call it a time capsule because people will go in there for a two-hour party and... Before you know it, it's over. It'll go like, like that. that. And then they're, you know, clamoring for, oh, can we stay? Can we stay? Or, well, usually we're booked <laughs> up, so they have to come back again, yeah. which is fine. You can schedule tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Next Tuesday, right? <laughs> totally. Go home, sober up. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so let's rewind. I know. We're, we're all over the yeah, map we're, we're going Yeah, we're going forward full steam here. Totally. Um, so, Scott, you and the crew, you're at Do Re Mi. Yeah. So, um, so Do Re Mi, we discovered it was like... Yeah. It was one of those moments, you know, you'll get this. As we get older, we get surprised less often. Yeah. So when you are surprised, it's really special. It really sticks out. Totally. And this was one of those moments where I'm like, what is this? How, where has this been? This is a thing. I I can do it again tomorrow. Why are you hiding underground here? Totally. Come back with me. Right. And and Doremi was a pretty modest establishment. Mm -hmm. There was no real sense of hospitality. There was kind of a bored teenager at the front who would bring you to your room and, you know, leave you to do your thing. The karaoke system was imported and not really designed for an English-speaking audience, and the English uh, song library was pretty limited. There was no bar. There was no food. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, what songs were you singing? You know, they had a they had a bunch of the hits. They okay. had you know the top forties and you know pop and because still and top forty American pop is still pop in yeah, Japan. Totally. Right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you know they have an English song selection specifically in English, but it wasn't particularly diverse. Um, but there was the place was amazing. The experience was amazing, and yet I just felt and this is the light bulb that went on as we were leaving the restaurant that yeah. night in Portland. 
which was they were just missing so much of the opportunity that it that presented it was so the the bar was very low that they were setting yeah. for what the experience could be it's like they made this they put it together yeah. but didn't go anywhere else with it right and and you know that was that one individual place mm-hmm. this concept i did not invent nor did do re mi if you go to china japan thailand korea this is a huge huge industry over there in, yeah. in you know in some of these cities there are 10 story high buildings like basically imagine a hotel where every single room like is filled a, with karaoke, is karaoke suites, suites. Um, and uh, you know every floor has a bar and, and over there you often have like a, a young female attendant who's you know taking care of you um, which is not something we've we brought over <laughs> into our concept yeah. um, but it's huge over there and in Japan you know that industry crashed in the 90s yeah and a crash for them meant they went from 14,000 establishments across the entire nation of Japan 14,000 establishments to 9,000 oh, establishments wow. and in the United States I would be surprised if there was much more than a hundred establishments today even in the in the market in general right. so um, even even if we even if our country, this grew in popularity in America to a fraction of what Japan was at its low point. Yeah. It, it would still be a massive change over here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so we didn't invent it. And if you go over there, and also in some other pockets in the U.S., there are places that are super high-end, and you'll pay a $1,000, or you'll be drinking, you know, bottles of vodka encased in ice that you drop 500 bucks for. <laughs> you know, it can go really far. Yeah, so they can really take the experience and make it very premium. Absolutely. Um, and... You know, when I was first exposed to it, and in a lot of the sort of enclave neighborhoods in, in the U.S., it was more or less like Do Re Mi was doing it. Yeah. And then that night as I was walking out of the restaurant, I said, hey, let's go do karaoke. Let's see if we can find a place. And we couldn't find a place. And um, this is in Portland? This is in Portland, yeah. yeah. You're lo- looking everywhere for that experience again. Right. There turned out there was a place like way out in the suburbs. Okay. Almost exactly the same as Do Re Mi. Um, but that wasn't what I was aiming for anymore. So when we walked out of the restaurant and I couldn't find a place, no one knew about it, that's when the wheels started turning. And I envisioned a sophisticated, well-designed space with a sense of hospitality and people really taking care of you. I envisioned actual bar and restaurant service and and also like a karaoke system that was easy to use and had an awesome selection and really enhanced the party experience instead of kind of being an obstacle. Right. Um, It's like we've we've got this karaoke system that's kind of like a pain to use. Totally. It doesn't have a good selection. It's just kind of getting in the way of the experience. Right, and that's the heart of the product. (laughs) It's like I'm here to do karaoke and you're making it very difficult for me. Exactly. Right now. Right. Um, And so that was the genesis of it. And I've only had this a few moments in my life. I'd always wanted to start a business. And the hospitality industry had always meant a lot to me. For you know, for my personal family history, and just, I had the vision. I was like, "Oh, I can build this." Yeah. And a week later, I had a ten-page wide spreadsheet with my best guess of the model. Okay. My engineering brain turned on. Yeah, and I started like, specifying it. This. Exactly. Was yeah. it just you um, that kind of wrote it, it all together? It pretty much was. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was just me, and I. A few weeks later, after it started rolling, I was talking to Carter. Uh, my other best friend, mm-hmm. and uh, we were walking around late at night, sitting on a swing set, actually, and I was saying, hey, man, like, I've been looking at these karaoke systems that are out there, and they're all imported, and I don't really have faith in them, and yeah. I feel like we could do something better than a glorified jukebox. You want to build this with me? And he is a software engineer and a systems architect who can build everything. Okay. He's literally worked on motor controllers for the highest-end yachts that you could possibly buy to... Uh, video graphics decoding algorithms that run on specialized chips, and he's also designed the chips. So this is so you've got the best friend is the guy that can build anything. Yes, and you've got this idea like, hey, maybe we could just build this. Yeah, and you say to Carter, let's go. Let's go. And he's like, okay, sure. Yeah, he was totally down. <laughs> and That's um, awesome. you know, he had recently moved to Portland. We went, we met in college, and, and he went off and stayed in the Midwest while I was living in California. And we reunited in Portland, and, right. and we started working together. And we would hang out in his office in his house a couple nights a week till 2 a.m., and I still have photos of the original whiteboards mm-hmm. of our best guests of the system, and we just developed it over the course wow. of that year. And so you kind of took the things that you saw were good and things you saw were bad. Let's get rid of the bad. Let's enhance the good, make this user-friendly. Absolutely. And your best friend here yep. <laughs> can just build anything. So he yeah. just went to town and exactly. created this. Because I, I didn't even know you made your own yeah. systems. That's right. Yeah, yeah. the whole software uh, stack. Yeah. Um, it was something that we originally came up with, and we've since spun it out into another company. Okay. And, um, yeah, so uh, that was a big part of it. 
And then over the course of a year, I started raising money and looking for sites and making a million mistakes, not knowing okay. what the heck I was doing, trying to open a bar. Yeah. Um, so what, what were some of those <laughs> mistakes? I Not not to pick or anything, but yeah, I, no. I think it's always interesting to kind of look at the challenges and kind of see, you know, looking back, okay, a million mistakes. Yeah. Could you have avoided some? What were some of those mistakes yeah, that you kind of ran into? I say mistakes. I don't even really know if I made any errors. Okay. It was more like... A lot of ideas that I thought would be simple turned out to be not so simple. Um, something is, as simple as, so, you know, my original location cost about $350,000, $400,000 to open. Yeah. And I had some savings left, and I, I got the bank to come in for about a third, but I still had to go out and raise about $100,000. Yeah. And I'd never raised money before. And then and it's I, like, raising $100,000 is a little harder than you thought? Yeah, well, I thought, you know, I had some friends, old mentors, business people, uh, who I'm like, you know what? These guys have plenty of money. I'm going to make a couple phone calls and someone's going <laughs> right. to give me a $100,000 yeah. check and we'll be off to the races. Yeah. Oh, Scott, glad you called. Here's hundred grand. Right. Okay. And I ended up over the course of several months having to piece it together with you know 5000 here and 10000 there and yeah. ended up creating a pool of, of people who believed in me, <laughs> never expected to see their money ever again. Yeah. Um, and, and they became my, my founding investors. It, it, and the, I will never forget the first person I called. He was my mentor, my boss at Cisco, the one who okay. sent me out to learn all about Wi-Fi and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I said, like, I'm looking for $100,000. He's like, well, I I'm not going to give you a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> I could give you ten. I was like, oh, okay. So this is how this is. Well, going. at least it didn't hang up on you. No, right? no. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you called. But David is uh, amazing. He's been, that's awesome. He's been a, an incredible friend and yeah. mentor over the years. Um, but so like, piecing, pulling together the pulling pieces together here. the pieces yeah. exactly, and then uh, finding real estate was a much bigger. Um, a much bigger challenge than I ever yeah. could have imagined. So, so was this approached as it's like a bar initially? You, it was hard to, to say what it was going to be. Yeah, I knew we would have to have you know bar and cooking equipment. Mm -hmm. um, we needed a space we could segment and build the soundproof suites. And uh, I, I was originally looking at spaces that were only 1,200, 1,300 square feet. And, and now I look back, I'm like, we never could have done it. It would have been <laughs> microscopic. Yeah. The space we wound up in and was the fourth space I tried to develop after three deals fell through. And these okay. were, when I say deals, we were negotiating with landlords, we were drawing floor plans and getting construction ready, and then the deal would fall through for one reason or Like another. three times yep. fell through, and then yep. finally the fourth time. Yeah, and I almost to... quit. That third one, <laughs> the I third was, one, you were I, about done. I was within hours of quitting, and I just got in the call that the landlord pulled out of the deal that we were working on. They, yeah. they found someone else they preferred to work with, which was, they weren't supposed to be talking to anybody else, but they changed. <laughs> they just found somebody else that, for this property. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad they did because yeah. that property was a historic property. It would have been a nightmare to renovate yeah. it, and it was the right thing. But in the moment I was so frustrated. It's, it's a huge disappointment at the time. It's like, yeah. you want to get this thing off the ground. Yeah. I'd been working on it for almost a year at that point. Okay. And, um, I just, happened to talk to somebody who had a buddy in real estate and I told him I've been having I was ready to give up and the deal just fell through he said you know let me talk to my buddy let him let him run a report on CoStar this network where you can kind of see what vacancies yeah. are out there and let, I'll ask my buddy to run a report maybe you'll find something in there yeah and there was one site in there in northwest Portland it was an old tea shop and it was exactly, well, I thought it was too big. It was 2,200 square feet. Okay. <laughs> Which to me 2,200, and you were looking at 1,200? 12 to 1,500. 12 to 1,500. Yeah. And yeah. what was funny is like I had my whole business plan, but the only number in that business plan that I knew for sure was the right, num was the right number was the rent. Okay. I had no idea really what my labor what was going to cost. I had really no idea what any of these other things would end up costing, but the rent was the biggest number in my right. mind. So I was working with an amazing SBA banker who, who was an awesome advisor the whole time through and I saw the space and I called up Todd and I said, Todd, I think I have the space. I think it could work, but it's way bigger. I'm not even sure I could afford the rent. And he said, well, send me the details. And he looked over my business plan. He said, Scott, this is fine. You're going to be fine. Do it. <laughs> yeah. And we took a look at it and it turns out the landlord, the person who owned it was a woman who's from Hong Kong, knew all about she the concept. She loved it right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They actually had another LOI that was on their desk and they pushed that one aside okay. for us. And um, that became our first location. It was it was actually perfect. So perfect try, number four, <laughs> yep. after almost giving up after three, three no's, three yeah. deals fell through. And along the way, my real estate broker quit slash I fired her. <laughs> okay. And I ended up doing the deal myself yeah. based on what I'd learned. 
um, I'd had some architects helping me along the way, and I learned so much about code. Like, you can't just walk into a warehouse space and turn it into a bar. Right. It turns out there's a lot of requirements <laughs> if you want to make some place into a place where people are going to assemble. Yeah. And I had no idea about egress and sprinklers and restroom capacity or any of that. So there's so much more that comes along with it. Totally. Yeah. And so that first year, I learned all those things. I ended up being my own architect. So if you look at the plans, they're actually the plans that I drew. Like you drew those plans. Yeah, with all the code compliance, oh, you know, wow. comments and stuff. So that that final site, I was finally ready to do it. Yeah. And I did it. And that was it. So in that year's time, it's like what you could look at as, you know, some failures and setbacks or just longer time getting to where you wanted to be. You learned so much. I wouldn't trade any of that frustration for the lessons that I learned. Yeah. If I said that right, but you know what I mean. I, I, I totally get you. Yeah, you wouldn't <laughs> yeah. trade that. It's one of those things, you know, people will ask, Scott, if you could go back and do it all over again, right. would you just go and find that fourth location and talk to the landlord from Hong Kong? <laughs> or would you just go through everything all over again and learn everything you did? Yeah, that's you, the way. Yeah. Well, and now what's really neat is that, you know, I will. I consult for other people who are opening businesses yeah. like this. We have a group in Fayetteville, Arkansas, for example. They, I've been working with them for over five years. They just opened finally this fall. Oh wow! And they were in exactly the same place I was. So now I get to share my experience. Now you get to help somebody else exactly and yeah. see the mistakes they, they they might or excuse me see the learning experiences <laughs> they're about to have. These are learning experiences. Right. They're not mistakes. And maybe they can learn the lessons with a little yeah. less grief than I did. So you spent some time doing some learning. Now you're able to do some teaching totally. with what you learned. Yeah, and that feels really good. That's, that's awesome. Something that's important to me. So we got our first location open. Um, was this 2008? Yeah, the fall of 2008. Okay. We actually our soft opening was Halloween night. Oh wow! And our first guest. This is a fun story. <laughs> So first of all, the software yeah. was not working. <laughs> One hour. Up isn't that, to isn't the that how it always goes? It's like the software doesn't work. Right. Did you reset the system, reboot? Totally. Something? Well, it was working on we our laptops, but it wasn't working on the machines that okay. it was supposed to work on. So we have this group arriving in an hour, and we're like, screw it. And we threw our laptop into the cabinet. We ran our first party <laughs> off of our laptops, and we, fo- we found the problem instantly the next yeah. morning. But our first group was a, you know what dragon boat racing is? I'm yeah, sure you have it out here. These long yeah. boats with everyone's paddling everyone's together. Everyone's paddling. They're exactly. super long. I've... It's a huge thing in Portland because yeah. on the river downtown, they've dragon boat races all summer long. So our first party was on Halloween night. They were called Blind Ambition. Okay. They were, I believe, the world's only all visually impaired dragon, dragon boat, boat racing. racing. No. Yeah. And they okay. were there along with their service dogs <laughs> okay. on our first night. And all the dogs were hanging out on the side. We brought big buckets <laughs> of water out for them. Yeah. And they were our first guests. And and some of them couldn't see at all. Some of them were standing like face right up to the screen to sing. Okay, and they Scott, were I'm, having, I'm having a hard time here. Are you trolling me? No. So first first night open yeah. with the first location of Voice Box Karaoke, yeah. you have a group of visually impaired Dragon, party, boat dragon boat racers come in with their service dogs. They can't yeah, see Yeah, in screen. costume. In costume. Because it's Halloween. On Halloween. Yeah. That's amazing. They were incredible. We had such a <laughs> we had such a fun time, and I just remember uh, they were going. My serving staff that I'd hired, they knew what they were doing, yeah. so they just started welcoming people and getting them drinks. And they I, just went with it. They went with it, and I stood back and watched the gears start to turn that I'd set in motion. You're like, and, is this actually happening? Yeah. Carter and I looked at each other. And we went into one of the other rooms because they were only using one of the suites. Yeah. We went to the other room. We just looked at each other, and the tears just <laughs> exploded. Oh, the, the catharsis in that moment was. Massive. It's amazing. Yeah. I still get choked up like yeah. even right now, like remembering that. It's like all this time, and then here it is, finally seeing it come to life in front of you. Kind of a weird, I mean, definitely a weird situation that, I mean, you will always remember your grand opening. Yeah. But add in a little extras like Halloween night, dragon boat racers, yep. visual imperities, service animals, service animals, software bugs. But everything just working. It worked. It totally and just worked. coming together. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah, and I had all these fears going in. I just imagined myself all alone working at the bar. No yeah. one would work for me. No <laughs> guests would come in. It was just me and the Yeah, the you're sort rooms. of like, am I just going to be the one sitting here singing by myself, <laughs> wishing somebody would walk in? Totally. And it didn't happen that a way. A group walked in. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. We had an amazing publicist. We got a lot of press, and it helped. But still, yeah. we didn't know until they started showing up. Yeah. yeah. So what, what did you do um, with the publicist to, to kind of get the word out there? Uh she she really knew how to pitch a story, and she got the Oregonian, our local newspaper, which okay. back then was a much bigger deal than it is today, unfortunately. <laughs> um, she got them to do a whole piece. Because Portland, it turns out, uh, is one of America's like prime karaoke cities. They're on any, there's 100 karaoke nights in the city of Portland okay. over the course of the week. And so karaoke was already well established, um, but there was nothing like what we were doing. So we she got a, a story published all about Portland's 
karaoke establishment and then this new generation that we represented that yeah. was that was coming oh, yeah. in. That was amazing. So all the news all the TV stations came down and did like drive time remotes. And they're like, this like, is newsworthy. This is totally. what's happening here. We love karaoke and this is something new. Yeah. So we had, we were on the, we still have people uh, who came and who are still our guests today who saw us like on the, on the, on the news, wow. you know, the evening news from the, the live remotes. Um, it was just a really good, well-presented story. And we, I don't, we didn't even know then some of the nuances I can talk to about people's journey and these discoveries people have. We yeah. just said like, this is something new. And it's really fun, and it, and it's coming, and you're going to want to be part of it. Yeah. yeah. Just build the hype. It's like, tell the story. It's like, yeah. come and check it out. This is going to be awesome. Totally. See what we're up to. Yeah. And now here we are nearly 11 years later. Yeah. You don't have just one location. You have three locations and two incoming. That's right. Correct? Yes. Right. So at what point did you decide, okay, we did this. Mm. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so within the first year, well, here's, well... So we opened in the fall of 2008, which, okay. if you remember, wasn't exactly that wasn't sunny. a good time for the economy. Not a good time, yeah, right? And then we 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 got good attention. We were getting good traffic. We were growing. And then the spring of 2009 was really, a, I think, the bottom of the economy. Yeah. And I remember that month we did sixteen thousand dollars in revenue for the entire month. Oh, wow. that was not good. <laughs> um, but from that point, we it really started picking up, and because you pretty much opened like as the economy was going down and down. Yeah, like the then... Lehman Brothers announcement was like within a week of yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yet you're still you're, you're there. You kind of made it through the bottom half yeah. of it, and we grew even as the economy crumbled. So I'm yeah. st- I'm proud of that. Um, People still want to have fun. Yeah. Well, it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah and maybe more than <laughs> more than ever. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So it was. About a year in, and I'm finally not there every night. I'll never forget the first night that I had a date, and my general manager said, Scott, go. It was like six months in. <laughs> Get out of here. Go yeah. do something. Because I was working 100-hour weeks, and I was going home at 4 a.m. and yeah. eating at the diner and then going and passing out and going back to work. <laughs> and then my manager said, go for it. And it didn't take me long after that to start pulling away and letting the team do what yeah. they did best. Let your team run the yeah. business for you. They're incredible. The people yeah. who work for me over the years are the number one key to to where we are today. Nice. I, they honor me with how hard and how smart they were. <laughs> so how did you kind of, uh, you know, grow and develop that team? Was it just like a learned culture from you and your friends? Um, did it, did you hire a specific type of fit? Have you, have you led with out, a certain culture in mind? Yes and no. I, I mean, early in the days, I just put out a Craigslist ad yeah. asking for bartenders and servers. You just need people. With, with my best guess as to what the job was going to be like. Okay. Um, but there's, and this ties back to my grandfather, I've always had this affinity for a feeling of hospitality, yeah. which is a really genuine one, which is like, if you're in my house, for example, like, yeah. I want you to feel like you're at home. And and I feel wonderful when I care and serve for other people. Mm-hmm. And I was seeking people who felt this feeling of internal pride and respect and warmth when they served yeah. other people. Yeah. And that has grown as the company has grown into one of our core values. And I was just doing a training with our team here in Denver yesterday about that. You know, we can, we can talk about that too. Yeah. Um, but in the early days, I didn't, um, I was just kind of, I was looking, you know what I was looking for? I didn't know if we were going to have the most polite, docile clientele or if the place was going to be a madhouse. Rowdy. Rowdy <laughs> yeah. every night thing. So I was actually looking for bartenders who'd worked in, who'd worked in dives and who'd done yeah. it all. People who could handle yeah. rowdy customers, totally. rowdy clientele. Totally. And the clientele actually turned out to be incredibly respectful, yeah. really awesome. Um, and I think because we treat people respe- with respect and it's a sophisticated atmosphere, mm-hmm. people act that way. And yeah, we yeah. have issues over the years, but it's been really it's been really fine. Yeah, because you walk in and you know this is, this is a place where, you know, it, it's, a, it's a respectable environment. Yes. It's a, it's a nice environment. You're here being served. You're being taken care of. It's not like a let's throw the chairs at the mirrors on the wall type, <laughs> totally. of, type of deal. Totally. Yeah. And, and I always say it's like it's sophisticated but inclusive. I want uh, bachelorettes who are dressed up to the nines to mm-hmm. feel like they're in a good space to have their photos taken and for them to party. But I also want parents to feel comfortable when they bring their 12-year-old girls on a Saturday afternoon yeah. for a birthday party for that this is not you know some dive bar that yeah. they're bringing their kids to. So and that's that's kind of what we hit. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So so it, hiring people, it, it was my best guess as to what we needed, and yeah, and that team turned out to be awesome. But then you developed. I I, I would dare say you developed because having your strong sense of core values of serving others and showing hospitality that translated throughout your team 
and other people picked up on that, right? Yes, it, it has to this day. And, and you said you just got done with a training um, here in Denver. What What's that training look like for your team? Um, we call it the Founders Workshop. And so as people are onboarded, it's something we started doing over a year ago now. Yeah, now that we're geographically se- separated from each other, yeah. and we're going to be even more so in the next few months, how do we keep that culture alive? And at some point, there will be someone else who works for me who can describe the history of the company and the values and where it came from right. and where it's going and what it means to our guests better than me or as well as me, but for now, it's me. Yeah. And so I fly out or I go to the stores a few times a year, and everyone who's been hired in the past you know, several months gets to come to the Founders Workshop okay. that I lead. And I just did one yesterday, and it was incredible. One of the main things I talk about is our core values. And our number one core value at the end of the day is this Japanese word, omotenashi. Okay. And in Japan, omotenashi means actually a very sophisticated, very specified style of service. You can actually be certified in various levels of omotenashi. But when you think about like the Japanese attitude towards service, that's the word that encompasses that world. But the heart of it, and I didn't know this until I went to some restaurant conference many years later, the heart of it is that it contrasts with the Western approach of service, which is okay. if I am serving, I am servile. I am of a lower status than you yeah. are. So you're, I'm serving you, so you're, you're the higher status. I'm like I'm the serving out of obligation to somebody superior. Exactly. Somebody. And, and you see that when people treat servers poorly or, yeah. or when people who are servers have chips on their shoulder about having to serve. Yeah. You know, we all know that barista who, you know, feels like yeah, you're making I, their day Another worse. venti. You right. Know, oh, here we go. Right. <laughs> um, and... You know, when I grew up, and, th- and this is where my grandfather comes back into the story again, we would go out, you know, we didn't have a ton of money, but we did afford ourselves nice vacations and, and going out to eat. Yeah. And it was the six of us, my two grandparents and my brother, myself and my parents. And we would go out to eat pretty regularly. And our regular places that we went to, there was something about them that just left an impression on me. And the okay. best way I can describe it, it was when my grandfather, who's really our patriarch in the family, everyone looked up to him. He was the such a classy, kind, uh, charming man. Yeah. And when he would walk in, and I'm like 12 years old, eight years old, I don't know. Uh, if you asked me in middle school what I would do for a living when I grew up, yeah, I would have said, you know, marine biologist, a cinematographer, or or a maitre d. Okay. So why would I say a maitre, a maitre d? d? That's that's a weird yeah. one. It's because I have these experiences of sitting there as we enter the restaurant. And we all sit to the side by the coat room waiting to be seated. And my grandpa walks up to the desk and the maitre d' is there. And he shakes his hand. Mr. Zeitlin, welcome. How are you? How's the family? Yeah. And uh, my grandpa would like gesture. We'd all like wave to the maitre d'. And then we'd get <laughs> seated and we would sit down. And these were like bustling restaurants with a full serving staff. Yeah. Kind of places you don't see as much anymore. And as soon as we sat down, my grandpa would say the same thing every time. Because he's grandpa. Yeah. He'd say, you know that Tony, you know, referring to the maitre d'. Yeah. He's a real pro. He's a real <laughs> professional. Look at this place. Look at what he does here. Look at what everything that's going on. Yeah. Look what he deals with. He's a real professional. And for my grandpa, who I mentioned earlier, left high school to finish, you know, to pay for his family. Yeah. Uh, he left high school to support his family. And then I went on to go to Silicon Valley and leave that behind. But for my grandpa to call someone a professional was one of the highest compliments he could possibly yeah. pay because he always felt like he he was short because he never finished his education. He never became, you know, quote, a professional. He ran an amazing business. He provided wonderfully for my family. Um, but he always looked down on himself because he was never a pro. So for my grandpa to call someone a pro yeah. was a huge compliment. That's holding somebody to a real high esteem. Yes, exactly. And he's showing respect yeah. to someone who is serving him. Oh, yeah. And me, little, you know, eight-year-old Scott watching this. That's a completely different point of view than what many people are used to. Exactly. Yeah. And... Also, I looked up to my grandpa so much. And when I see this other person making me, like, my respect for my grandpa increased in that interaction also. And I say this to my team. I'm like, you you know, if you work here, you have to feel that true heart that you are worthy of respect and you receive respect when you give service. And that's Omotenashi, which is the person who's giving service is receiving respect. Receiving so much respect for that service, that hospitality that they're providing Exactly. For somebody. Exactly. That's awesome. And that's what we, we go into in the Founders I, Workshops. I, while you mentioned that, I pulled, a, pulled it up on Google um, to see if there's some translations of it. And it, it's an amazing phrase. Um, the snippet here says, 
It represents the act of providing detailed service in a variety of ways to allow guests to spend a relaxing and memorable time Mm -hmm. by putting the customer first. Right. And Omotenashi is sort of the sort of servant leadership style that you've developed and implemented with your teams. Yes. Uh, The the letter of the law in in very Japanese style of of the detail orientedness is um, is one piece of it and. The part that we, not that we're not detail-oriented, but the piece that we really emphasize is that um, by doing what we do, we are worthy of respect. Yeah. And we are professionals, and we shouldn't forget that. Because of, like, your grandpa sitting there at the restaurant and saying to you and your brother, look at this place, look at how nice it is, look at how well it's ran, he is a pro. Yeah. It's the same atmosphere that you're creating for your guests at Voicebox is that when they sit down and they have a great time and a memorable experience, they look around and they say to each other, they're pros. Yep. They got their act together. They got their act together. They're taking great care of us. They're giving us a memorable experience so that we can have a joyful time. Exactly. And, And then the sad part about all this is that when we last left my grandpa and my personal story, he was pretty, uh, confused as to why I would leave Silicon Valley right. behind. And this is kind of later in his years and he started declining. And yeah. by the time I started Voicebox, he wasn't really able, able to travel anymore. And he knew I was in business and he would ask me questions about it, but he never really quite got what I did. Right. And he never saw it for himself. And he always felt a little unsettled by my decision. Yeah. And, and I tell this to my team, and this is when I really choke up, is that, you know, if he had ever made it out to Portland to sit yeah. at the end of the bar and watch he could sit there. my people... He would have been so proud of me and of the team, and he would have said the same thing to them. They're real pros. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Grandpa. <laughs> He's with us. Artie Zeitlin, yeah. Yeah. for sure. They're pros. Yeah. Yeah, they're pros. <laughs> they and, made it. They did it. And Look at this place. Exactly. And yeah. if you're not, if you have a chip on your shoulder, you don't feel elevated when you provide service, that's fine. Yeah. Go work anywhere else. <laughs> I, I'm not angry with you. It's fine. Go yeah. work, work it's just anywhere not a else. Good fit. It's just not a good fit. Yeah. Um, but the people who fit, like they're they're how we've succeeded. And I didn't. I've never run a restaurant before. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think we've succeeded, in spite of my lack of hospitality experience, <laughs> because of yeah. the head we have on our shoulders and the heart we have in our chest. Yeah. You took a different approach. You didn't have any real bad experience to bring into this, um, and you took a, a unique, personalized approach to creating a, a good hospitality experience. Yeah, I think it's a way, fair way to say yeah. it. I mean, you're a guy who IT, technical, software, I don't know if I'm even hitting it right, Cisco. Yeah. Whatever Cisco Hardware does. engineering and Wi-Fi system Wi-Fi before Wi-Fi exactly. had a name. <laughs> and fast forward, if I'm putting the timeline together, 12, 13 years later, you've created a hospitality experience to create joy and a fun, inviting atmosphere for people and families. Yeah. And have you noticed it's been about, I don't know, 20 minutes since we even said the word karaoke? Yeah, I, I don't know. Again, we're, we're talking about voice box karaoke. I'll just plug, <laughs> plug right there. Well, it's, it's funny. See, the only reason I point that out is that there's so much more to what I think makes us successful right. and memorable and makes it rewarding for me to be running a company like this than, yeah. than just the karaoke. And I, I think that's the thing. That's the root of you know good businesses, good companies, things that you want to see succeed places that people enjoy working for and places that people like to spend their time and their money especially is creating something so much more than just whatever the product is or whatever the service is, but creating that experience, that hospitality experience. Yeah, I, I believe that very yeah. thoroughly. So so more than just, you know, it's not just karaoke. It's karaoke. It's a joyful. You, you said this several times, a joyful experience. Joyful, playful connected fun, discovery primal fun. Yep. let's have a good time let's let's not worry if you're you know the best singer or if you're drunk enough to hum a few bars exactly. right it's just it's you and a group of friends hanging out together and having a good time yep that's the essential part of which, it which is which is fun and in, intriguing because that's really how this all got started was a group of friends who <laughs> went out and had fun and wanted to continue to see that happen yeah exactly <laughs> So here we are today. So, uh, of course, I like to wrap these up and, you know, give give you a little promotion and invite our communities to check you out so that they can also experience, you know, the hospitality, the the 
Omotenashi, if I said it right. <laughs> you got it. Um, that they can experience. Well, I like team. to say that my team members are omotenacious. Omotenacious. <laughs> yes, they have to. They have to come wearing their omotenacious. We have an omotenacious group here at yes. Voice Box Karaoke. I love that. Um, so, so if you want to experience, um, you have a location in Rhino, yep. which is in Denver, Colorado. That's right. Um, where at? Do you want to give us an address? Yeah, it's at the corner of Twenty Sixth and Walnut. Okay. Up, uh, just a few blocks east of the ballpark. And uh, 2601 Walnut Street. And if I'm interested in, you know, spending some time with my friends at Voice Box Karaoke, what do I need to do? I highly recommend you make a reservation, particularly okay. on uh, Friday, Saturday nights. We book up well in advance. Okay. Uh, weeks often. So go to voiceboxkaraoke.com. Mm-hmm. And there's a big book your box button. And you can click that and... And they got your website open. It, it looks go. really easy. There's the uh, the button in the corner, book your box. Yep. And you go to book your box and you can, you know, fill out your name. Um, there's... Uh, Q and A, uh, things that you can expect. Uh, is it what exactly is private suite karaoke? And I know we mentioned this uh, very popular in Asia and Japan and uh, South Korea and Taiwan and um, definitely on the East Coast. I know uh, out there, but private suite karaoke is an opportunity for you and your friends to get together and kind of hang out in your own suite and have fun and play together. Yeah, right? leave your worries, leave your cares behind. <laughs> Come have fun, play, and probably discover something that you didn't expect. Nice. Yeah. Um, and then other listeners, too, that we have outside of Colorado, you've got two locations in Portland. Yep. Uh, where are they at in Portland? Uh, one is in the Northwest Alphabet District at 21st and Hoyt. Okay. And then the other one is in the Southeast Industrial Area, Lower Morrison, so 6th and Morrison, Southeast. All right. And then uh, this fall, expect to see a new location open in Fort Worth. That's right. And the Idaho location is opening? In downtown Boise. In downtown Boise? Yep. Nice. And uh, booking information for those will soon be online at the same voiceboxkaraoke.com. So, so Scott, as we wrap up, tell me, um, obviously you're a man who enjoys his own creation. Yeah, I, to I, an I extent. Right? Yes, I would say that. Yes. So, so karaoke, if, if you're hanging out with your friends, um, what's, your, what's your go-to karaoke jam? I have to say that there is a song that I really, really love doing. And it's Alanis Morissette's You oh. Ought to Know. Oh, <laughs> and our, you, you, you. Ought to know. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. So our system lets you uh, change the pitch of the song. And my voice is a lot deeper <laughs> okay. than Alanis Morissette. So I can drop it a step. Okay. So I bring it down a whole note. And uh, then it turns into like a smarmy laugh. I want you to know. And, and then, nice. then the little chorus part, I kind of like rap. Oh. And it's... And it ends this. It's massive. See, that's, that it's was huge. surprising and delighting. Delighting? <laughs> it's pretty, delightful? It's yeah. Yeah. And I've been doing it for years, and people are like, oh, you're going to get a new signature song? And I play, get a new sing. song, Scott. No, I'm, I love it. It's so fun to do. Here we go. Alanis Morissette again, one so, more time. Totally. I like that you can drop the key. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the little rap in between. Yeah, we'll meet you where you're at. <laughs> so if, if I'm going out to karaoke, and I don't know if it's uh, the same with, you know, private suite karaoke at Voice Box. Anything I should steer clear of? What, oh. what are some of the karaoke no-nos? The, the best thing I can recommend is don't go for the, don't go for like the Bon Jovi <laughs> out of the gate. Bad medicine. You give love a bad Living name. Living on a prayer. Living on a prayer. Oh, yeah. Anything that's screeching. Yeah. Like you, and I've done this, and I've seen people who do this. They shred their vocal cords on their first song, and for the rest of the night, they're hoarse and they're fighting it. They give it everything for Don't Stop Believing, and then they're done. Totally. Right. Yeah. And then the other thing is just watch out for those 80s songs that have a four-minute outro where they replete the chorus forever. You're going to yeah. be standing there, like, kind of getting, like, what's going on here? Can we, you know, so. Yeah. I know one, one time in, in high school we had a homecoming dance thing. Nobody danced. It was just <laughs> totally whatever. Um, and they had karaoke set up. And I was like, I'm going to do Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang. And so I was like, DJ, you know, set it up. Did you remember how long that song is? There was literally, like, a four-minute intro of yeah. instrumentals. Yeah. And I'm, like, just waiting there. I'm ready to go. I'm like, I said, a, oh, instrumental, waiting. What do I waiting. do with my hands? My, my, my producer is just pumping it back there, doing the cabbage patch or something. <laughs> I don't know. But I, yeah, literally, I'm like, what do I do? I'll just put my hands in my pocket. Maybe I'll go sit down. I'll come back in, <laughs> I'll come back in 12 bars. Yeah, time to use the bathroom. There we go. I'll, I'll be right back. Hit you know? the punch bowl. So I thought that, that, was, a, that was another no-no <laughs> yeah, as well, too. It, it, it doesn't matter how well you sing. It doesn't matter if you have any talent or experience. The best songs... Either, either go at it with the attitude of I'm experimenting and fooling around, and yeah. I'm not enjoying just having myself. Fun. Having fun, hit the skip button, move on. Yeah, you know, there's no audience to impress or to worry about it. 
It's and just it's you and your friends having fun. Exactly. So yeah. so move on. And then you've the already other, embarrassed yourself numerous times in front of your friends, so it's all good. Yeah, and the, like the, that notion of embarrassment melts away immediately because you yeah. realize that everyone's fooling around. And if you're not singing, you're shaking the tambourine, or you're you're singing <laughs> without the microphone. Yeah. So everyone's participating in every song anyway. Doing the cabbage patch. <laughs> exactly. Or, or something. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the real heart of it is at the end of the day, if you really want the song to to take off, sing a song that means something to you. Yeah. And don't be afraid to like let what it means to you just kind of bubble up. Let it come out. Let it come out. Embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> and and that will that is what people remember. That's what stands out. Either way, just fool around, have a good time. That's really what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the discoveries will take care of themselves. You don't have to work at it. Nice. Yeah. Well, Scott, I really appreciate you joining us on our podcast for OCM Business. Thank you. Um, for our community, it was, it was really great um, hearing the story of Scott. I mean, starting out in uh, Silicon Valley, traveling the world, and then kind of coming up with, what do I do next? And with a group of friends, decided to start what's now Voicebox Karaoke. Three locations, two on the way. Uh, we've got one right here in Rhino in Denver. Be sure to check that out. If you want more information on Voicebox Karaoke, you can check them out online at voiceboxkaraoke.com. Uh, Facebook as well. Yeah, Facebook Scott? and Instagram. And Instagram. So obviously a great opportunity for you to get some photo ops, tag your friends, totally. tag Voicebox Karaoke. Have a good time. Be sure to check the website so you can book your box, get some reservations. Fridays and Saturdays, I hear book up well in advance. Super so you want to get on that quick. Um, but really, thank you, Scott, for joining us today. Really appreciate learning your story. For sure, Aaron. It's been a total pleasure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks a lot. And for our community now, for OCN, this is Aaron Wood with our OCN Business Podcast. Uh, feel free to check us out online anytime at ourcommunitynow.com. Check out more of our podcasts. Uh, just search for OCN Business wherever you find podcasts, on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else on the web. And thank you to our uh, executive podcast producer, Mr. Joshua Hammerling, for laying down the bumps and the cabbage patch <laughs> check us out next time this has been ocn business with aaron wood ocn business has been brought to you by pin our platform intelligence network pin is a data-driven marketing company which focuses on a human-centric approach to marketing please visit us at our website at pinbn.com that's p-i-n-b-n.com or call us at 720-552-5827 that's 720-552-5827